Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be on the Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we are in week 73 of this quarantine. It's. I don't think I can remember what the outside of my house looks like. I actually, what is it for me? Am, am I entering a month this week? I'm hitting, I know I'm hitting week three. So yeah, I was, I've been a week longer than you. So yeah. I'm entering a month, man. But don't worry, it's only going on until June. Oh God, I think we'll be lucky if it only goes on until June at this rate. Ugh. Welcome to our happy, happy show, guys. Where you're yeah. escaping from reality. By hearing us talk about the same stark reality you're trying to escape. I'll, I'll tell you, Germany's kicking ass at this. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. If someone's going to be very organized about it, it's going to be Germany. It's going to be Angela Merkel. Oh my god. Why don't we have her as president? Why hasn't she just annexed us? If I understand anything from history class, it's that you can just annex other countries if you feel like having well, them. No, she's practicing proper social distancing, so she's not going to fly over here and plant a flag and say, this is mine now. She's been practicing she- social distancing from Trump since day one. <laughs> <laughs> and not just of this whole virus, just since day one. But I'm glad Melania finally has a valid excuse for not wanting to hold his hand in public. It's like, no, it's not because I hate you. It's because I'm social distancing, you worm. I still think it's like a Paul McCartney situation where she died and they've replaced her with someone else. I never explained that to you after last week. No, you didn't. I've been waiting an entire week to hear you explain Paul McCartney being dead and you never did it. I... So basically, there was this whole conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney, when he was like really young, after the Beatles had formed, he was part of the Beatles, died, and they replaced him with a lookalike. And in one of the records, when you play it backwards, it says something like, Paul is dead. But it's like, you can't plan that, though. That's like insane that you could think someone could put a subliminal backwards message in a record and it would like do things. Well, no, they planned it, like, they did it after Paul supposedly died. And there are some pictures where Paul looks pretty different before and after. But also, I would imagine doing a whole lot of acid can change your appearance after a while. It's like, are you saying the natural process of aging can change someone's face? It wasn't that long between the two pictures. I mean, there's some pictures of me where, like, they've been taken minutes apart. And in one, I look like I'm 70. But in most, if your beard is gone, you look like you're 12. Yeah. And it makes it really, really creepy for me to be married to you. It's always creepy to be married to me. Like, I have this picture of the two of us that I love because I look super cute in it. And it's probably the one that I would share on our social media of us and be like, look, this is what we look like. Except he doesn't have a beard and he's closer to the camera. So all you can see is this 12-year-old guy looking at you. <laughs> Maybe we can Photoshop your beard on it. At work, we, uh, we've we been getting bored because we're doing the whole work from home thing. So we had a meeting on Friday and we decided we were only going to dress up in formal clothes. Um, I just put on one of our Harry Potter Snuggies that's got like the tie and school uniform on it. That See, you own bow ties. Why would you not wear a bow tie? Because it was cold. You could put the Snuggie on after your formal meeting. You didn't wear a Snuggie to prom and you were fine. I did wear a Snuggie to prom. You were there. I was there and you were not wearing a Snuggie. I did duct tape prom though. That is hot and uncomfortable. Do not recommend, especially if you lose, which we did. Not uh, me and Austin. Yeah. We would have won. We would have. We would have so incredibly won. So speaking of records playing backwards with evil messages on it, what are you talking about today? Well, actually, I'm glad we had that little segue because I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit about the Satanic Panic, but specifically Dungeons and Dragons. 
So are we talking about like actual dragons that have been found in dungeons? Are we talking about the evil satanic game that summons the devil? Well, actually, it's we're talking about the very boring role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons, in which a bunch of friends sit around a table and pretend that they are other people and they roll dice to determine how good they are at doing things. Now, here's the deal. If you're a D&D player, you might be offended by what he just said. What do you do every other Monday, Austin? I play Dungeons and Dragons every other Monday and it's a blast. And I would, right now, uh, you can do you can play Dungeons and Dragons online super easily. And if you are bored and missing your friends, maybe set up a D&D night. I love Dungeons and Dragons too, but I think I'm cursed because my D&D groups always explode. Yes. They don't just dissolve, they explode. They do. So I am not currently playing a game and it's bumming me out. Oh my god, so we did that psychometrics, uh, take this quiz, and it lists like 503 people, like in order of how similar you are to them, their TV and book characters and stuff. And then we took it for each other. Oh my god. Based on our interpretation of how the other person should answer. Almost every single one Austin got for me was the bad guy. Varys is not a bad guy. Okay, he's a bad guy. Like for me, my number one was Miss Norbury. His number one for me was Varys from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, the only non-villain in her top 10 was Sheldon Cooper, who is arguably the villain of Big Bang Theory. Kripke. Kripke is the villain of Big Bang Theory. Mm, yeah. I was, um when I did it, for me, my number one from Big Bang Theory was Amy Farrah Fowler, and I was offended. I was legitimately offended by this. Um, excuse me, my number one from Big Bang Theory was Stuart. <laughs> and when I took it, I got Luna Lovegood or Arthur Weasley, because I took it twice, because, you know, I forgot the results of a better one, so I went and took it again, and it was, I was either Arthur Weasley or Luna Lovegood, so I'm pretty proud of that one. I do love Luna Love. I love Arthur Weasley. Like, that guy. That guy. Like, the amount of curiosity he showed about other other cultures around him. I mean, and yeah, sometimes he fucked up in the way that he handled that curiosity, but it was so well-intentioned. And listeners of this podcast, you can see it, right? You can see that. It's like, oh boy, I'm going to talk about this other culture I know nothing about. And I've mispronounced every word. I don't think either of us is talking about an actual different culture today. I mean, France comes up in mind, but France always comes up in someone. France comes up everywhere, yeah. So, Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Long story short, it was the 1980s, which is probably part of the reason we don't learn about in school is because it happened so... Didn't Dungeons and Dragons start in 1978 or 1979? It start, uh, Dungeons and Dragons started in the 70s, and it, it started out as like a as a uh, tabletop war game simulator where people move around little miniatures and roll dice to determine how good people how good their troops do and try and reenact historical battles on tables oh that's cool i like that it started out as that then they decided to turn it into a system where they'd follow around instead of like an entire army or a group they'd follow around one specific person and have them grow over time and role play them doing stuff and that's how dungeons and dragons was born my dad was an early adopter of Dungeons and Dragons. We actually had the first edin- edition box set in oh, my house. Oh, cool. But it's gone now. Yeah. I'm not going to go into why it's gone now. Wait, you still have the minis from it, though. I do, and I'm so protective of them. I also have the original set of dice in my dice bag, and I get so concerned after every time we play. Like, I make sure that they're all still there because they're my lucky dice. Yes, they're very lucky because she rolls stupid well. 
So yeah, long story short, this is a very 1980s story, and it's probably still too recent to learn about, even though it was 40 years ago. Hey, hey, we aren't 40 yet, and we were born in the 80s. The satanic panic and all of this, like, you know, moral concern stuff really was kind of a combination of three things happening at the same time. It was a combination of the war on drugs, in which everyone was very concerned about one little thing can send your kids off on these dark paths where they'll start doing drugs and ruin their lives and die in a gutter. You know what did that for a lot of kids? The D.A.R.E. program. The D.A.R.E. program. So it was like, you know, parents were like, where, you know where your children are? And everyone very concerned about what their kids were up to. And the thought that one little mistake or one thing going wrong can ruin your child's life, combined with the rise of the evangelical right. Which, you know, they also went after music and entertainment, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, those were morally bankrupting the youth. Like, mm-hmm. famously, like, a band got brought before court because... Uh, a parent insisted that subliminal messages in their records caused their kid to commit suicide. Oh, I mean, that's a very sad situation. And I can understand them wanting to find someone to blame, especially mm-hmm. because a lot of parents feel like that's their fault. And you know whose fault it is? Depression and yeah. other mental health issues. Yeah. But and that was not nearly as well understood. And the third then. big factor in the satanic panic was actually the rise of the Church of Satan. <laughs> Which, okay, the Church of Satan is not, we're going to sacrifice some goats on the on an altar and, like, praise the dark gods. It is a bunch of trolls. These were, like, the these were like the predecessors of the internet trolls. They were um, just, yeah. No, they're still around. They're still though, around. And they actually do, like, a lot of charity work. They do a lot stuff. of charity work. They do good, good stuff. But it's, like, the they're, a good example is a courthouse, I think it was in Alabama, yeah. made it so a law that you could have religious statues in public spaces so the church of satan paid for and had a statue of bahamut the (laughs) goat-headed devil uh put up in a courthouse because it was completely within the law so that's the kind of stuff they did um they're the church of satan and the evangelical right threw a fit about it and it was very concerned about devil worship and like you know satan everywhere because they had become popular and they were in the news a lot of the time i'm doing a binge of supernatural because i was so far behind i was a I was like a first generation watcher of that show and then, you know, life happened. And I just got to this episode where some people summon Satan and he shows up and he looks around and he goes, are these really my worshipers these days? Oh, that's a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. And long story short, it was all Ronald Reagan's fault. All of this is like Ronald Reagan is like the apex of this. So much on Reagan. So much on Reagan. Reagan was like, all of it. Although, can we really blame it on Reagan if the commonly held belief that he had early stages of Alzheimer's? Yes, because he didn't always have early stages of Alzheimer's. His whole life he did, from yeah. day one. Of course, you know, parents were also scared. As you'll notice, even with modern people, they don't want to blame themselves for anything going wrong. Because no. it can't be their parenting. So obviously it has to be this new thing they don't understand. And you'll still see that today with video games or cell phones. Or, or, you know, the old fallback, the teachers. The teachers. You know, it's those, it's those, it's those dang screens, these kids. These kids, they're just looking at these screens all day and they don't even know what to do. So, we're going to start off with really the first case in this. And that is the case of Dallas Egbert. I love it. Uh, this At age 15, Dallas Egbert was a Michigan State college student who went missing in 1979. Um, his family hired an investigator to look for him because he'd been gone. They didn't know where he was. And, and this, he's an adult, so no one's looking no, for him. No, he was 15. Oh, I thought you said he was a college student. Yeah, he was a 15-year-old college student. Oh, damn, son! Yeah, so he was he was a prodigy. He was a, br- a bright kid, and he went missing. 
So his family hired an investigator to look for him because, you know, the cops weren't really getting anywhere with it. So well, this is still back in the days where like, oh, he's just a runaway. All kids are runaways. Yep. So they hired an investigator, William Deere. During his investigations, he found out that uh, young Egbert played Dungeons and Dragons. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, they also found what looked like some pushpins in a board that resembled a map of the steam tunnels underneath the university. With this Wait, steam, I, I have questions about steam tunnels now. It's basically like it's like sewer tunnels, but for the steam pipes to provide the heating and stuff for all the buildings. Oh, okay. Yeah, steam tunnels. So he, uh, this might be a map of that. So he made this logical conclusion that Egbert and his friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons in the dangerous steam tunnels, and either he got so caught up in Dungeons and Dragons he killed himself, or he got lost playing down there and starved to death, or like you know. Something went wrong when they're playing this game and he died and they hid his body down there. See, I kind of feel like there's probably maintenance guys who check the steam tunnels once in a while. You'd think that. So naturally, the news media ate this up and there was like, you know, a big like, we're going into the steam tunnels to try and find him thing. There were camera crews running around all over the place. Didn't find him down there, shockingly, because he wasn't there. (laughs) He had actually had tried to kill himself several days before he went missing, but it failed. And he was in the steam tunnels when he did that. Because it was quiet and alone. And he was a scared and alone teenager. Going to college? Yeah. And he tried to kill himself. Tried to kill himself. That failed. So he went and hung out at a friend's house. And then he went to a game convention in Indianapolis. So he was okay. He was fine. Then after that, um, because they were still looking for him, he went to New Orleans. Where eventually he finally like gave in and called the investigator to come pick him up. You know, I feel bad for this kid. Like, there's so much pressure on being a teenager in the first place, but to be a teenager in college with kids who are up to 10 years older than you, yeah, that's is, hard. I mean, and um, he, he ch- they chalked up his suicide, and he actually did end up killing himself a year later Ugh. with a gunshot wound from an unsecured family gun. Secure your guns. Secure your guns, people. And- Especially if you've got someone in your house with a history of suicidal mm-hmm. tendencies. And the, uh, he did tell the investigator this, but uh, he, the investigator didn't repeat it until after his death, where he said the reasons for his suicide attempt and runaway were parental pressure, depression, and loneliness, and just like, you know, isolation and being in a new strange place that he wasn't handling well. So all understandable things. None of them related to Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I want to give this kid a hug. I'm yeah. so sad for him now. But it did start a panic that Dungeons and Dragons was poisoning kids' minds. And then the investigator, William Deere, wrote a book called The Dungeon Master about this case and his disappearance, in which he made lots of, like, you know, weird leaps about how people played Dungeons and Dragons and kept all of the stuff in about how Dungeons and Dragons was a factor in all of this, even though there was zero evidence from any of this that actually supported that claim. So I wanted to hug the kid. This guy, I want to take away any opportunities for hugs. I don't care if he's dead now. I want to like yep. negate all hugs he got. The Yeah, the book was just a game of D&D that went too far, even against all this evidence, and but still the stuff about... The real tangible stuff was still in it, but he put Dungeons & Dragons as a higher factor in this thing, even though he was just a lonely kid who played D&D. So he wrote this book, and it inspired another book, called Mazes and Monsters by Rona Jaffe. I've heard of this one. It is about how a bunch of college students playing an RPG in the steam tunnels beneath their college, and one of the students has a mental breakdown and eventually kills himself and descends into madness. Well, descends into madness, then kills himself. It was This book was a big enough hit that CBS actually bought the rights to it and made a TV movie out of it. I feel like I've seen this movie. You know who, and to top it all off, you know who starred in this movie? 
Tom Cruise. It seems like something Tom Cruise would do. You are so incredibly close, but so wrong. Tom Hanks. No! And this, okay, you can watch clips of this on YouTube, and I would absolutely do it, because you can see Tom Hanks in, like, this big moment in which his friends are trying to use, like, you know, he says, like, no, I can fly, I can I can cast spells, and his friends are trying to use the rules of the game, saying, no, you can't, you don't have enough mana points. And you can see Tom Hanks, like, giving this speech, no, I can fly, I can do it. It's like, when they say, like, no, it's just a game. He turns to us, like, it's just a game. You can see Tom Hanks just hating every moment of this. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta get paid. And course, I mean, that's how, oh God, what's her name? Ended up in Christian Mingle the movie. Lacey Chabert. <laughs> Lacey Chabert. If you have not seen Christian Mingle the movie, unless you hate yourself, don't watch it. Oh God, it was awful and we loved it and hated <laughs> it because we hated it. Oh, it was. So in of course, the big theme of this, of course, was the people being unable to tell fantasy from reality. Which, you, again, you'll still see when people complain about violent video games. There are developmental stages where that is a real thing. It is not your teenage years. Nope. For the most part. If your kid is still having struggles differentiating fiction from reality when they are middle and high school aged, please get them help. Please, like, don't be afraid. You are not a bad parent for getting your child help. You know those, like, little free comics that people will give you about how what you're doing is going to send you to hell and Jesus hates you? Oh, yeah. Well, they're all written by this guy called Jack Chick, and he wrote one about Dungeons and Dragons at this time because, you know, it was the big evil everyone was worried about. And it was called Dark Dungeons. Are you ready for the synopsis of this? Because it's nuts. I sure am. Okay, it's about two girls who start playing a role-playing game together. Wait, girls? Girls! This is already unbelievable. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> did we have, like... Weren't you part of a all-girl Dungeons & Dragons group for a while? Mostly girl? I was running it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're the patriarchy, so of course you're in charge. Oh my god! I I was the patri- I was literally the patriarchy. Yes, because you were controlling all of our actions. And you you guys were fighting against the patriarchy in it, too. Oh my god, I was the patriarchy! (laughs) (laughs) So two girls, um, because they start playing this Dungeons & Dragons, they get very obsessed with it. And naturally, because they're playing in it, they start going to satanic rituals where it's like where like 20 or 30 people are standing around in black robes around a pentagram and like chanting and sacrificing goats and pledging their service to the Dark Lord. See, I never ended my games of Dungeons and Dragons that way. That's always yep. how Tetherball ended. Is that not how that's supposed to happen? Yeah, it's like you hit the ball, you back, you hit it forth, hit it back, you hit it forth. Then um, you pledge yourself to Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. And yeah, yeah that's how... That's how Tetherball always ends. I mean, that's how I ended up being really good at Tetherball, because Satan liked me best. And then the loser gets sucked into the eternal pits of damnation and torture. See, that never happened with mine. Maybe you were doing it wrong. I must have. Were you doing clockwise or counterclockwise? Um, let's see. I was usually, I'm right-handed, so I was usually going clockwise. Ah, that's why. Oh, damn it. So you can only really make this work if you're a lefty. Yeah. (gasps) That's why, uh, that's why in ancient, in Latin, uh, left is sinister. Now you know. Huh. So, uh, yeah. And um, then they, they continue to play Dungeons and Dragons and worship Satan until one of their characters dies. Mm-hmm. And she's just so upset by this. She kills herself because her character died. Her beloved character who she was playing in Dungeons and Dragons died. So naturally she was just so upset she had to kill herself. Yes, that's how that works. That's exactly how that works. Um, it's because there's a, there's a spell that, you know, it's called 
resurrection, which just brings your dead person back to life. And it's basically, if I understand it, if you've got the, a certain kind of DM, they'll just let it happen. Yeah. Dungeon Master secret here. Usually you've got plans. And if a specific character dies, it's like, I don't want to have to rewrite this. I'm just going to let them come back. Mm-hmm. I've Let's see. I've had one character full on die. I've had one, another character who was my favorite get sucked into some kind of abyss in between worlds and... Then my group exploded, and I don't know if she ever got out. <laughs> oh, no. Well, we, we may never know. Yeah, I've had a... Bronwyn, uh, come back! <laughs> that was, uh, was that Bronwyn? That was Bronwyn. Yeah. I haven't had any, like, really memorable player deaths for myself, but when I was running a game, the absolute dumbest death I've ever seen was when... It wasn't Dungeons & Dragons. It was a different game in which we were all, like, genetically engineered super soldiers in a in a sci-fi future. One of them had a jump, a jetpack, so he jumped out of the airplane and landed on the ground safely. The other guy said, it's like, oh, I'm just going to jump out, too. It's like, you don't have a jetpack. It's like, no. It's like, well, you're going to take one of the parachutes? No. So he just jumped 300 feet and died immediately. The one character I remember dying, it was my first ever game of Dungeons and Dragons. And we were doing a pre-planned kind of thing. And the DM expected us to die about, and I'm not exaggerating, about six hours before the game ended. (laughs) This was a 12-hour session. Oh, God, those are nightmares. Because my character, again, first time ever playing, I was playing a rogue. And I spent most of my time in, like, stealth mode so that no one could hear me or really see me unless I wanted them to. And we were fighting this like giant or troll or something. And I kept holding my turn and holding my turn and holding my turn. And then all of a sudden I felt lucky. So I took my turn, rolled a natural 20 and beheaded it. And then so the game had to keep going. We finally get to the last place and he's like, okay, I've got to kill these people now. And so there was a box that these Harlequins kept coming out of. I know it's. This was, a lot of this was pretty homebrewed stuff, so I have no idea. This was what, you weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. Um, But it was like these like jester clown things and hundreds of them and hundreds of them. And my, our entire group starts dying. I think there were nine of us playing and dying and dying and dying. And I just wouldn't die. And I just kept like taking these little fuckers out. He was so mad. (laughs) It's fun. You should play it. I recommend it. And of course- Naturally, the surviving girl was so shocked by her friend's death that she went and found Jesus and vowed never to play Dungeons and Dragons again. Was Jesus the final dragon she had to fight in one of the dungeons? No. Mm. I w- that'd be great. That would have been great. And of course, naturally, the other girl went to hell because she killed herself and was worshipping Satan. And they show that in this comic because that's what these comics are. God, so basically, though, if she was worshipping Satan, she got exactly what she wanted. So she won the game. She won the game. She got to go to hell and hang out with Satan. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. That was the message that this was sending. Yeah, it's like, boo. It's like, she found a way to win at Dungeons and Dragons. She literally won the game. Wow. This was also adapted into a movie in 2013, but... It was a very tongue-in-cheek look at it because these kids playing these role-playing games were the really popular bad boys and, like, they were the kids who were too popular to be kicked out of school and everyone wanted to be them. And What movie was this? It was called Darkest Dungeon. How have we not watched this? Or not Darkest Dungeon. Was it Darkest Dungeon? It was Dark Dungeons. How have we not watched this? Austin and I go out of our way to watch the worst possible movies. It looked really bad because it was making fun of this guy's entire book. But he didn't realize it, and he gave them the rights to make it. (laughs) It was kind of like, you know, the Reefer Madness musical. Oh my god, it's so good. It's akin to that. 
Reefer Madness is based on an actual 1950s film that was shown to like parents about the evils of drugs and all the things that are going to happen to your children. Your daughters are going to become prostitutes and blah, blah, blah. And then everybody's going to die. Then there's this amazing musical with Kristen Bell and Anna Gasteyer in it based really, really closely on this 1950s thing. And it is so good. You guys should all go watch it. Reefer Madness with Kristen Bell. It was really funny. I loved it. So this brings us to, you know how there's all of those groups were showing up at this time about people, you know, concerned about things and these parent groups (laughs) trying to defend the morality. People who are worried about stuff. People who are worried about stuff. Well, they had the anti-Dungeons and Dragons group called BAD. B-A-D-D. It was Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) He mentioned that to me yesterday, and I was like, "Were they also fussed with it?" <laughs> they, they, they were, they were, they were quite chuffed. Chuffed is positive. Oh, then I don't know. Chagrined. Chagrined. Eh. Whatever, whatever you English people say to mean, just to confuse us Americans. Fussed with or bothered with, I think. So they were. Hi, British people. They were worried about the. Whew, there's a list. Demonology, voodoo, witchcraft, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity. Sexual perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic rituals, satanic ritual-like things, gambling, barbarianism, which I guess there is a class called barbarian, so kudos. You're right. There is barbarianism. Mm -hmm. Cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning. Desecration's a real thing, too. That's when you loot the bodies. Yep. Necromantics, which I guess there are necromancers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Divination. Yeah. And other themes. You know, I'll say, I know that... Rape is a possibility in Dungeons and Dragons, but every DM I've ever played with, that was their line. It yeah. was, you will not have that be part of this game. Yeah, that's that's usually a hard line. But again, this game, it's not like there's a set rule or a set path you go through. People can do whatever they want. But unless you're playing with an absolute sociopath, there's lines people don't cross even in these games. Oh, I've played with sociopaths and even that was the line they didn't cross. Yeah. But of course they understand, sociopaths understand social rules. They just don't like them. It was founded by a woman called Patricia Pulling after her son's death. He had shot himself in his ch- in the chest with his father's unsecured handgun. In the chest? Yeah. That's really unusual. Mm-hmm. His family had never heard of Dungeons and Dragons until after he had died. They were looking through his notebooks of what they thought was schoolwork, but it was actually things from Dungeons and Dragons, which... If you know anybody who plays Dungeons and Dragons, they talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. They talk about it a lot. So if they didn't know, either they weren't listening to him or he was afraid of them. Yeah. First thing I was concerned of. And, you know, uh, they claimed he was perfectly healthy and perfectly mentally healthy. And they didn't understand what went wrong. And they think it was Dungeons and Dragons. And in the same 60 Minutes interview, a minute afterwards, his sister goes on to talk about how he threatened to kill her. So many times. <laughs> so in the same six minutes, a minute afterwards. So at minute 61, when they'd cut off the interview. Yeah, there was a, the 60 Minutes interview. Uh, it's about the evils of Dungeons and Dragons from 1985, which I watched for this. And it was, nothing has changed at all. It's still the same, like, sensen- sensational media stuff, but it's about something in the past. So you could see how ridiculous a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. And it was just, again, lots of stuff to watch in this one. Yeah, this, is a, this one's a lot more visual than the other ones, I've, which is weird because it's Dungeons and Dragons and it's all theater of the imagination. Yeah, and you know, as the theater teacher, I get to hear all about my students' Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, and I loved it. Like, I loved listening to them, and I loved that they were taking this time to be creative outside of school. Yeah, oh, yeah, Dungeons—it's actually being used in schools a lot as a tool because it's social interaction. It's people interacting, solving problems. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, like, in many ways, it's no different than those like escape rooms that are so popular oh, yeah. right now. You just and even in some of those, you're playing a character. Yeah. So uh, this group got major national attention because, you know, everyone was worried about Satan. And all of these cases, dozens of cases about teens and adults who had committed suicide, murdered someone, or all these satanic rituals started pouring out of the woodwork. One guy, one guy claimed that over a case, over a period of four years, there had been 24 cases of people in Dungeons and Dragons doing these things. During the time this was all happening, roughly 3 million people played D&D. So... Fraction of a percent. Yeah, like, we focus on the wrong things. Even now, we focus on the wrong things. Yes. Like, we... uh, This is my little side tangent. I'm sorry. I just find it very upsetting. Whenever there's a mass shooting, we go straight to mental illness. Now, I'm not saying mental illness doesn't play a role, but especially when we tell the public a specific diagnosis, it makes them afraid of people with that diagnosis, when people with mental illness, if they are a danger to anybody, 99% of the time they're a danger to themselves. So that tiny fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent does not represent the whole. Yep. Uh, one guy came forward, William Snevlin, who claimed that the people who made D&D approached him to get real spells for their books. The Why would they approach William Snevlin? Well, let me tell you his credentials that he told us. He was a Wiccan. Okay. He was also a Satanist. Okay. Which are, those are two different things. Those are two very different those things. Those are two completely different belief systems. Yeah. Those, yeah. They have nothing to do with each other. Now, you can say that, like, I don't have a religion and but, pull beliefs from different wait. things, but... There's more. Oh, God. He was also a vampire. Sure. And he knows werewolves. Me too. Very credible. But he also wrote a book, and it was well-received by Bad because it showed all of the evils of Dungeons and Dragons. I love that the fact that it was well-received by bad people made it credible. Yes. It was the 80s. What a time. There also were, like, you know, experts coming forward, like psychologists and, like, you know, all of the usual crackpots coming forward about, you know, one guy claimed that a parent saw their child summon a demon, a demon from Dungeons & Dragons before he killed himself. Okay. And another who thought that he could astral project Based on the instructions, and there were instructions for the spell written out in the book, he had all the materials for it, and he shot himself. That's not how astral projection works. I've got that book. I looked up the instructions for astral projection. Not one of the materials is a gun. No. Also, it's like, they don't, their instructions for these spells are basically like mechanics for how it works. Like, I shoot a fireball out of my hands. It tells you how much... How far a fireball shoots and like how... There is no Latin chanting that happens. No. It literally is a person says, I'm going to shoot fireball. And then they roll a die die to see how well it goes. And there's like some spells where it's like, I need to like, I need to look into the future. It's like, well, you need a crystal ball for that. So that's what the instructions are. None of them could be construed by anyone to be an actual spell. If you've read the game, none of these people had actually paid any attention to it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's kind of like people who were against Harry Potter, but had never actually read Harry Potter. Oh yeah. This... I'm you know, sure, and I'll even defend Twilight on this one. The people who were against Twilight for the wrong reasons. Not about, you know, the rapey nature of it and the stalkery. They didn't have a problem with that. They had a problem with the werewolves and the vampires. I mean, okay. And they didn't even know that the book has overt Christian themes. I would never recommend Twilight to anybody, but I will defend to the death someone's right to read Twilight. And yes, that is a hill I've actually died on a little bit, was defending Twilight to a member of the public. I would always, when I would teach Romeo and Juliet, I would talk to my students. I'm like, this is what Twilight is based on. And this was after we talked about how creepy Romeo was towards Juliet, like showing up at her house and trying to make her kiss him at a party. And this whole, I'm like, guys, 
is this behavior okay? And they were like, no. I'm like, now think about Twilight. Edward is just standing in her room, staring at her while she sleeps. Is that behavior okay? Is that what love should look like? And they're like, no. I'm like, read it. Enjoy it. Do not use this as a basis for healthy relationships. Yeah. And of course, while all of this is going on. Um, unless it's your cat. No, because they do stare at you while you oh sleep. Oh my God, they do. And breathe heavily. <laughs> oh my God. So while all this is going on, um, the people who made Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Gygax and Arneson and their company, TSR, were fighting against it. And they were fighting against it logically saying like, you know, there's no facts about this. It's like, we don't find any evidence about this. It's like, even like all these cases you're talking about. It's like they have other things in common too other than playing Dungeons and Dragons. There's 3 million people that play it. This is a pretty low number of those people. And it's like, do they watch television? Do they have any other underlying undiagnosed mental illnesses? It was like, there's no reason to tie Dungeons and Dragons to this, but there was the big public outcry and the outrage. And at that point, it doesn't matter what anyone was saying logically. My minimal, admittedly, knowledge of Gary Gygax would be that he would actually look into it and give a shit. Yeah, they were... No, they were taking it seriously. They were being a good company about this. It's like, is it linked? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. So finally, after a while, some information did start to come out. Of the about 3 million people who played Dungeons & Dragons, they actually found out that suicide rates were lower for people who played Dungeons & Dragons than across all groups amongst their peers. So it was just the the opposite was true. People who were playing D&D were less likely to kill themselves. Because they have, like, a social group and a support network of these people that they talk with. Yeah, and especially back then, people who played D&D, it wasn't mainstream like it kind of is now. Yeah. So these were the kids who may otherwise have not found their uh, their group, their friends, their solid base, and they found them. Yeah, these were outsiders coming together and finally having, like, a a social group. Mm-hmm. And it was it was important. It was good. And it was actually beneficial in many ways for the people who were playing it. And even you'll see now it's become mainstream. There are like people's entire jobs are playing Dungeons and Dragons on Twitch and other streaming services just so because people love to watch them play it. There is just entire stores where people play it. The library, the library I work at is actually going to be having Adventurers League, which is like kind of like drop in D&D sessions this summer. Assuming, assuming. Assuming. So yeah, it's become popular and probably because groups like Pullings, their books were found to be inaccurate. Uh, they omitted critical details and actually they got, uh, Pulling got in a lot of trouble for editing published newspaper articles and using them without the author's or the publisher's com- permission. Tell me, Austin, how many sources have you cited? Zero. And you know what? If I get called on it, that's my bad. <laughs> so uh, then eventually a a pulling report was published by a game manufacturer that was highly highly critical of her in 1990 and she had to resign from bad uh bad completely dissolved by 1997 i can't believe it lasted that long yep also because in 1991 the american association of suicidology the cdc and health and welfare canada all concluded that there was no causal link between role-playing and suicide. No. The evangelical right does still hate Dungeons & Dragons. Pat Robertson, who is the, like, 700 Club guy who kind of looks like a goblin. Uh Uh-huh. And he's 750 years old, so Um, he doesn't even belong there anymore. Still preaches about its evil, but I don't think he understands what Dungeons & Dragons is. Uh Uh-huh. Because what he's describing is a video game. In these clips of him from re- him recently complaining about Dungeons and Dragons driving kids away from God. So yeah, that was, this outrage still exists. It's moved on to video games and other things. But 
I thought it was nice to see this old example of something that's popular again and how it got the same treatment lots of stuff is getting now. So yeah, that was the Satanic Panic and Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Ready for some questions? Yep. Will the start of Tom Hanks's acting career be on the test? That was not the start of his That was his first credited role. Oh, I bet he hates that. I want to find a copy of it and have him sign it. You know, the thing is, I think he would. I he, would be, he would be very, he would be like fake disappointed. I was like, oh, I can't believe you brought this to me. He's like, oh my God, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like Tom Hanks, I, like, he just seems like a good guy. And people were so mad at him for getting coronavirus testing. And I'm like, he was in Australia. Uh-huh. It was an earlier case in Australia, if I understand it correctly. So back before they were limiting testing. And... They were sick. Like, they they were yeah, proactive they, about their illness. They were symptomatic. It's like, hey, we're having these symptoms of coronavirus. It's like, there's a credible reason to test you. So let's test you. It's like, and they were obviously, you know, they have an entourage and they have, they were in a hotel. These are not things you want to do if you have coronavirus. Yeah. And he's also not hurting children. No. That's a rumor going around about him. What? Oh, Tom Hanks is a national treasure. Please be nice to Tom Hanks. He's earned it. Mm-hmm. All right. Will Dallas Egbert be on the test? Yeah. And would Bad be on the test? Oh yeah. So yeah, that was my that was my thing. Very nice. I know it was. I had a lot of fun <laughs> researching this just because I got to watch all of the bad '90s videos of this <laughs> because it was all TV interviews. Uh huh. There was like nothing written down, all on TV. And there, oh, I will actually cite a source. There was a uh, 2014 New York Times article about this as well. Good for you, citing a source. I cited a source. Oh, no, sor- there was also a 60 Minutes interview you mentioned. Yeah, a 1985 60 Minutes uh, segment. Yeah, who knows? But like, anything that started in the 80s, guys, except for the two of us, obviously, you really can't trust it. They weren't even washing their hands yet. No. Oh, my God, they weren't. Mm-mm. Maybe, maybe that's why. You had some fecal matter going into their brains. From those steam tunnels. <laughs> and that goes into my piece today. Steam tunnels? Fecal matter. Matter. Fecal matter. Fecal matter. Why are we talking about fecal matter again? Well, my sources were the bladder and bowel community, which is a real thing, Healthline, Mental Floss, the CDC, Slate, and the Atlantic. I, what are you talking about? Today, I am talking about America's refusal to clean their asses. Go on. More specifically, the history of toilet paper, bidets, and America's distrust of both. What? Okay, distrust of bidets, I can kind of understand because, like, I don't know. I don't want to squirt. It's, it seems like a, a bidet would surprise and startle me if I didn't know it was coming. You know that you press the button to make it work, right? I'm a curious guy. It's like, ooh, what's this button on the toilet? It's like, oh, God. They're labeled. Like, I'm going to read a label. That's why I still have to clean up the kitchen so often. We have labels on everything and you're just putting shit wherever you want. Yes. And that's what people in America do as well with their toilet paper and their bidets and their fear thereof. Oh, man. just I'm having actual toilet paper nightmares because every time I go to the store, I can't find any and we're running low. Yeah, we bought a bunch at Costco like eight months ago and we haven't run out yet, but we're getting to the point where I think we've got a couple of weeks left at most. And in fact, estimates are that people are using 40% more of their at-home stock because they are home at all times. Wow. Yeah. So like getting a few extra rolls right now, probably not a bad idea, but stop hoarding it. Stop. You don't need seven. You don't need seven cases of Costco toilet paper. One lasted us most of a year. 
Yeah, and these people too, so many of them at the beginning bought them for the purpose of reselling them at a ridiculously high price. You are awful people and your mothers are ashamed of you. And if your mother did that too, then someone is ashamed of your whole family. You're bad people and you should feel bad. So if you've been paying attention, you've likely been hearing a lot from people who live in other countries or have traveled extensively and they're talking about the wonder that is the bidet. Now, if we think about it, toilet paper itself does not make any fucking sense. You are wiping down the dirtiest part of your body with dry paper. Like, think about it, Austin, you work outside a lot. You Mm -hmm. come in with the muddy boots. Yeah. If you're like, these boots are too muddy, do you use water on them or do you just wipe them off with a paper towel and call it good and then walk around the house? Um, Usually I just take them off and not walk around the house with my boots on, but I don't have the option of taking off my butt. Mm -hmm. So I would probably use water to clean them if my boots refuse to my feet. Or if your armpits stink, you don't just wipe them with a paper towel. No. You use soap and water. Yeah. And B.O. can't cause diseases. It just makes people not like you. And actually, I guess right now, I'm having BO so people don't sit next to you. And BO enforces social distancing. So don't clean your pits. And then especially if you have kids, but even if you don't, you've probably had to wash skid marks out of underwear. That alone should tell you that toilet paper is not working. And with babies, we don't just use toilet paper. Understanding that it doesn't actually get things clean. It's not even so much that worried about, oh, it's hard on their little soft skin. It's if I don't get this really clean, they're going to get sores and diseases. You don't stop being able to get sores and diseases once you get out of diapers. You can get them forever. Forever. But now with adults, we just wrap some glorified college-ruled paper and wipe it on there. Yeah. And we call it good. Now, there are wet wipes for adults now, of course. Did you see the did you see the wet wipe, wet wipe for, uh, the man wipes? Oh, yeah, they're dude wipes. Dude wipes. Dude wipes. Which, that makes zero sense to me. Oh, I'll tell you why that's a thing. This why? is a little side note. And it's something that has stuck with me since I was about 13 years old. I was listening to the radio, and this is when wet wipes for adults first started getting really on the market. And some they were having, like, a call-in conversation about wet wipes for adults. And somebody called in, and this is what they said. I think using wet wipes is kind of gay. How is not smelling like shit gay? And the per, the radio announcer kind of pauses for a second and then goes, so by gay, you don't mean homosexual. And like, no, no, I, ju- I just mean gay. So right. that stuck with me forever. And that is part of the whole dude wipes thing is it doesn't seem to be a straight man thing to do. And it's also something that girls would do. Guys need to have their asses stink and... I mean, if, if my, my ass doesn't need to be clean anyway, because no one's going near it. <laughs> oh, God. Now, I'll tell so you. You don't, need to be, you don't need to be near it to smell it. You seriously don't. Oh, my God. Like, I once was around somebody, and I was like, and they smell, and I couldn't figure out why. And then they stood up, and their pants fell down just a little bit, and I knew why. Oh. I couldn't see anything, but the smell just, like, popped the fuck out. Ugh. It was so gross. And those wet wipes also back up sump pumps. And septic systems. Um, We had one wipe. One flushable wipe. I think it was like a Clorox wipe that was supposed to be flushable. One back up our entire system into our basement. We had um, some roots got into our our line and this wipe got caught on those roots Mm -hmm. and backed up the entire system. Yep. So how did we end up using toilet paper in the first place? I'm guessing a series of bad decisions. Wait, who was making money off of toilet paper? 
What company made a profit off of this? That does come into play. Yes! I'm dropping shit. I'm like, you're the problem today. I'm not the problem. See, this is why my hot chocolate is in a tumbler, because I was just planning ahead. Smart. So in the beginning, there was nothing. (laughs) Um, Okay, you need to fast forward at least seven days on this. (laughs) People got creative because they didn't want to walk around with dirty asses. So they used whatever was nearby, like corn cobs was a very popular one. My oh, uh, my grandfather complained about toilet paper. He said, you know, it doesn't get me nearly as clean as the corn cobs did back in Iowa. Yeah, he's not making that up. That was the thing. That no, was no. actually one of the most common ways. To this day, and he said like, you know, we had the red the red ones that you used at first. Then you'd switch to the white ones to see if you got it all. That just sounds like him. I love it. I know. And they'd also use wool, hay, and then after the printing press, they would use literal paper. And because everything has to go back to the Greeks and the Romans, they would use ceramic discs or most interestingly, sponges on sticks that were soaked in either salt water or vinegar, which makes sense because both of those do have some sanitizing qualities, except they all shared the same sponge on a stick. Ew. Yep. Greek marriage contracts supposedly also stipulated that they had to have some kind of bidet-like thing available for women, just for women, not for men, to use before and after intercourse. But I don't know if that was ancient Greece or if that was more recent. They didn't have a date on that. We also know that toilet paper definitely goes back to the 6th century in China, thanks to a Chinese scholar writing that he would absolutely not use paper from certain sacred or ancient texts for this purpose. But they also were basically using whatever items they had on hand, including paper. The first toilet paper itself was invented in the United States in 1857 by a New Yorker named Joseph Gaiety. They were in boxes and were aloe-infused pieces of manila hemp, which he claimed prevented hemorrhoids. He was so proud of this that he printed his own name on every single piece. What? But people didn't want to buy it. Because they all were just getting the Sears Roebuck catalog in the mail for free anyway. (laughs) So they were wiping their asses with the free Sears Roebuck catalog. Now we get the high V circular every week and there is no way to stop it. Like there are even subreddits that are like, how do I stop this goddamn thing from showing up at my house? And it's run by the Kansas City Star and there is no way to turn it off. Yeah. So if we run out of toilet paper, we have options. We can just go old school on this. I'll dig Uh a a hole in the backyard and we'll just... Like, those didn't really take off. And then Seth Wheeler, in 1891, invented toilet paper as we know it today, with the roll and the perforated squares. The original um, patent says that the toilet paper goes over the top, not pulled under. The only argument that works for the under is that it's hard for cats to play with it if it's under. I am indifferent. I'm like, if I have toilet paper, I'm happy. We used to have to do that because we had a cat who'd unroll toilet paper. So we'd put it on so it was under so the cat couldn't unroll the toilet paper. Which cat was that? That wasn't mine. No, this was, oh God, this was, I'm going to say Lenny. That sounds like Lenny. Is Lenny still alive? Lenny's still alive. He's got to be like 40 now, right? He's like, he's close to 20. Wow. Yeah. Then along came the Scott brothers. Now, you've heard of Scott's toilet paper. Yes. That's still around. And it got its start in 1890 when Clarence and E. Irvin Scott created an unmedicated version. (laughs) Because the aloe infused prevents hemorrhoids, blah, blah, blah. And they sold it to hotels and drugstores, but it only became mildly successful because no one wanted to go to the store and ask for toilet paper because it was embarrassing to admit that you pooped. But- 
But this was before they published the book Everybody Poops. Yes. But Pooping was not okay before that book. No, before that, nobody pooped. Nobody pooped. That, that book caused it. No, it's like, and there are still things like people will go into the store and not want to buy them. That's actually one of the biggest excuses that college campuses have to battle against the use of protection during sex is people don't want to go into the store and say, I need condoms. If you're old enough to have sex, you're old enough to buy condoms. If you're afraid to buy them, you are not old enough to have sex. Buying condoms is way less embarrassing than buying diapers. Way less expensive too. Yeah. Nobody is looking at you if you're buying condoms and going, ew, nobody. Unless it's like your dad that you're buying them from, in which case maybe you should go to a different drugstore. Yeah. But but what if that's the only drugstore in town and your town doesn't allow dancing either? <laughs> Damn it, Lithgow. Ah. So the Scott brothers didn't take credit for their invention for 12 years because it was so embarrassing to poop. <laughs> It wasn't until toilets became popularized that toilet paper really became a thing. Toilets began popping up in homes at the end of the 1800s. And as they became more common, the need arose for flushable materials. So it kind of sounds like your grandpa probably didn't have in-home plumbing. Did not. And for some reason, corn cobs not flushable. Yeah, we're not going to test that theory because I know it's not going to (laughs) work. Also, Austin won't allow corn in the house. It's the devil's food. The Dungeons and Dragons invented corn. As you'll notice, there is no corn beast in Dungeons and Dragons. That's because it's the one holdover from Satanism. (laughs) So advertising started to become a big thing, trying to get people to buy toilet paper so that, you know, they could flush their toilets. And they, of course, said that not only plumbers recommend it, but so does your doctor. You know how four out of five doctors recommend, like, crust toothpaste or whatever? Who are these doctors? Who are they talking to? I know they have a panel of five. Like, and what is their methodology? I have a feeling it all goes back to how hot the pharma girl is. The hotter the pharma girl, the more likely they are to I'm recommend sorry, I'm just this. imagining like the like turn of the century pharma girl who shows off a little bit of ankle. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, hello, doctor. I've got a new product for you. It's paper for wiping your butt that you can flush down the toilet. It's like, oh my, I don't think I do that. Well, what about if I showed you this and she lifted up the skirt and you could see a little fl- little sliver of ankle and he's like, hot mama. Actually, women do play a major role in this, as does like femininity and sexuality, Ooh. both positively and negatively. Ooh. In 1928, they stopped marketing toilet paper so much as a medical product. The Hoberg Paper Company created something called Charmin. You those, ever heard of it? Those fucking bears. Those fucking bears they are the scariest thing on television like they're up there with the news oh no 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 those bears aren't scary they're just it's they're not funny it's weird it's gross and like is this the people who wrote this have they never had an actual conversation with another fucking human again before it's like i don't know what led them to this what dark thing happened to make them think that anything in those commercials is okay Well, it's like, and they're flat out admitting in these commercials that toilet paper doesn't work. They're saying, it's like, oh, we actually get clean enough to walk around. Not, you know, we're fully clean. We're clean enough to walk around. And this is what gets me. The toilet paper doesn't stick to your butt. You know why the toilet paper sticks to your butt? Because there's still shit on your butt. So they're walking around without pants. But And somehow the glasses on the baby bear makes the whole thing creepier. Oh, that song too. That fucking song. I can't think of anybody who actually likes these commercials. No, no, this is just, I bet some executive's nephew designed this and he's like, well, we have to keep giving Billiam his money. 
Well, Charmin actually did the first effective advertising using a logo of a beautiful woman, which, of course, sex sells for one thing. And also because it made this seem like a soft feminine product without ever actually mentioning its purpose. This is something that will make you feel clean and beautiful and desirable. Which could also go back to why men are afraid of anything that could remotely seem girly, but whatever. Charmin's method actually helped them uh, survive the Great Depression, because this was right before the Depression. Now, remember, up until this point, people have been using the Sears Roebuck catalog, which they got for free. And people kept buying toilet paper through the Depression. But they were also smart enough to put together the original four packs of toilet paper and say it was economy priced. Oh. Yep. So you asked who was making money off of this? Charmin. I think during this depression, we are going to have to go back to using the Sears catalog. I don't think it exists anymore. Oh, man. And it's it's, on, not, it's, it's not, online. We have to use our computer monitors. And it's not. <laughs> those don't flush at all. It's so cold and pointy. There was one of those autofill things that was finished this sentence with, I'm out of toilet paper, so I used my, and then you autofill. And they all either said computer monitor or cell phone. <laughs> Except for mine, which said I used a comma. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that seems right. Yeah. So by the 1970s, toilet paper was more or less ubiquitous. This is also when the first coronavirus-like run on toilet paper ever happened. Do you have a guess about why this happened? Why there was a sudden rush on toilet paper at all the stores? 1970s. I'm going to say the gas, pr- gas crisis. Johnny Carson. What? Johnny Carson made a joke during his opening monologue about toilet paper. And for some reason that inspired everybody to go out and buy toilet paper. Wow. So my guess is that it was kind of the people who kind of used toilet paper, but used other stuff too, or people who didn't use it at all were like, oh, well, Johnny Carson's mentioning it. It must be normal and I must be weird for not using it. So stores ran out of toilet paper. (laughs) I remember watching Johnny Carson as a kid. Really? I don't. I... I've, I've been an insomniac since I was born, like, and I'm not exaggerating, like, I was awake 20 hours a day. So sometimes when I couldn't sleep, I'd go into my mom's room, and I'd hear Johnny Carson, and I'd say, Mom, I want to watch The Funny Man with you. And obviously, I was too young to actually understand the jokes, but I understood that people were laughing, and so I understood he was funny. And I always enjoyed watching him. <laughs> also, in the 1970s, 1978, Mr. Whipple, the guy who said, please don't squeeze the Charmin, was the third best known man in America. After former President Nixon and Billy Graham, which means that the current president, who was Carter, was not in the top three. Oh, Billy Graham, also another fucking asshole. Finally died two years ago. I looked it up. Thank God. I was thinking, like, how is this fucker still alive? And then I looked up, I'm like, oh, he's not. Yeah. And then I, I think I was thinking about that guy you were talking about. Yeah, they're they're the sa- they're the exact same kind of shitty human mm-hmm. being. Which, also, um, his complaints about D&D pale in comparison to his views on homosexuality or women working. So Uh, these are awful people and they don't deserve any of the money that all of these idiots are sending them. Isn't the 700 Club co-hosted by a woman? Yeah. Is she not paid for it? I don't know. Hmm. They're shitty people with shitty beliefs. Is she actually, like, his nurse to make sure he doesn't die during the the broadcast? Wow, that would be amazing. (laughs) Today, Americans use more toilet paper than any other country in the world, including those that don't use bidets. Now, and I don't mean overall, because we're a big country. We are going to use more of some things. I mean, per person, we use more. 
with the average individual using 57 squares per day, which adds up to 50 pounds per year. 57 squares? Oh, I break, I get, I did the math. I did the math. It's like, oh God, I don't want to get into like specific metrics, but like, I'm going to say like six squares-ish. 57 squares. Let's break it down. Yeah. You ready? The average American goes to the bathroom between six and seven times per day. And I mean just urination. Though up to 10 can be normal. Be Like, if you're starting to feel a little weird, if it burns down there, if you're suddenly peeing more, please go to the doctor. Too much urination can be a sign of problems like diabetes and you want to get that caught. And pooping can happen anywhere from three times per day to three times per week. Although if you are going more or less than that, it actually isn't that as much of a cause cause for concern like urination would be. Because some people, I've heard that you don't even need to worry as as low at one time per week for your poop. So again, if something feels weird, go to the doctor. This is breaking down the number between men and women, obviously, but let's assume the average only applies to women. Because women have to use toilet paper every time they go to the bathroom. So if a woman uses the restroom six times per day, or seven times per day, I mean, so between urination and pooping, seven times, that means they are using an average of eight squares each time. Now, if coronavirus has taught us anything, it's that you don't need to use that fucking much. No. Experts agree, though, that using water, like literally just rinsing yourself, is infinitely more sanitary than wiping things around with dry paper, because that is all you were doing is just spreading it. Dr. H. Randolph Bailey of the University of Texas McGovern Medical School is a colorectal surgeon, i.e. a fucking hero because who wants to do that for a living, recommends bidets because many of his patients simply come to him for severe irritation as the result of vigorous wiping, which you have to do to get everything off, and the fact that many types of toilet paper have fragrances and chemicals. So you are basically bleaching shit down there. And you know what doesn't do those things? What? Water. Unless you just, unless there's bleach in it. Well, then you're just an idiot. <laughs> you know what you don't have to vigorously wipe? Water. Water. He also says that rinsing will get you cleaner than toilet paper will. Like, as Austin mentioned in a previous episode, feces spreads cholera, and cholera still exists. Yes, it does. It also spreads hepatitis and E. coli. It can cause you to get UTIs. And feces also spreads the coronavirus. It does. That was the next thing I was going to say. While there have, as of yesterday, been zero indications that coronavirus is spread through drinking water, so chill the fuck out about buying all the water bottles. As filtration and treatment does kill any viruses that would get into your water in the first place. Basically, you're not drinking shit water unless you go down to the lake and you're like, I'm going to drink this lake water because people poop in lakes, as do fish and... Oh god! There, there was, are so many dead bodies oh, in lakes, guys. So many. The Lake of the Ozarks at one point in time was so filled with poopy disposable diapers people had thrown overboard. There was like deadly levels of bacterial blooms and amoeba blooms that like you couldn't swim in that lake because it would kill you. There's also an entire town under the Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah. Like they literally filled it up over a town. Also, interestingly, there is no evidence that properly maintained pools or hot tubs have spread coronavirus. But the key is properly maintained and how many people are really properly maintaining their at-home hot tub. Plus, you can't social distance in a hot tub. No. It's not big enough. No. That said, the disease has been found in the feces of patients. Now, I want you to think, especially if you're a parent, but even if you're not, how often you've gone into your bathroom and found shit on the toilet seat. And how often 
you've had to wipe it off before using it. And how often you've done that without bleaching and waiting the like 10 minutes you're supposed to wait after bleaching because you gotta go to the bathroom. So yeah, that's how you can get coronavirus through poop. And also think about how toddlers lick everything. Yeah. I just, I made a face. You can't, you can't see my face, but it was a face. Yeah, as of now, there also hasn't been any evidence of fecal to oral transmission, and it is still transmitted orally for the most part. So just don't go around licking things that could potentially have poop on them, and you'll probably be fine, but it's not worth the risk. So with people like scientists and just people who lived in these countries going around saying, guys, use bidets. Bidets are awesome. Why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we? For the same reason we didn't embrace toilet paper at first. We're a big fucking bunch of prudes. And also because we hate women. Yeah, both of those things are still sadly true. Bidets were invented in France in the 1600s. They were used in conjunction with a chamber pot, and they were like these really pretty ornamental things, bidets were. They had, and they had a lid to kind of hide their true purpose, which is kind of funny because everybody knew what it was. But if then you think about toilets, which have lids for no reason, and in fact, toilet lids are disgusting because you close it over the, the seat that has poop on it, and now you've got poop on your back. Anyway. Bidet comes from the word pony, which was gives, gives you an idea of how they were straddled for the use, but also because nobility used it to clean up after going horseback riding, which is like really sweaty business, so makes sense. As you might guess, these were originally for the upper class, since hauling water around is really heavy business. And it was... Oh, Fazek wants to come talk about poop. Oh, he probably just pooped and he's very proud of it. Hi, buddy. Um, and it was so deemed necessary by nobility that even Marie Antoinette, one of history's most important hussies, had a red-lined bidet in her prison cell while she awaited death. Wow. Mm -hmm. By the 1700s, they began to have water pumps that could spray upwards from a refillable tank so they were cleaner. And in the 1800s, a standard model was a small tub with two faucets. And this is also when they began to be able to spread to lower classes in other countries throughout Europe, as well as making their way to Latin America, the Middle East, and Asia because they can start being connected to actual plumbing systems. And then the Americans encounter them for the first time and were horrified. I remember the scene from Crocodile Dundee where he encounters the bidet in his fancy hotel room and he is shocked, to say the least. First, the very, the very idea that people, but especially women, would ever need to clean down there was immediately associated with promiscuity and abortion. In the U.S. and Britain, people believed that douching was a form of birth control and could cause abortions. It can't and it doesn't, but it can make you sick, so don't do it unless your doctor tells you to. And bidets, since they cleaned down there, were considered a form of douching. So obviously, if you used one, it's because you slept around or because you thought you were pregnant. And then 1935, World War II, American soldiers go into brothels in France. And to see the bidets and immediately assume it's something hookers use. So they were like horrified by the fact that these hookers were using these things. They can't possibly come to the States without ever thinking, hey, who was paying the hookers? You know, they couldn't possibly need to clean up because we're disgusting men. And an old joke as well is that an American wealthy woman was in a hotel and asked what the bidet was for. And she actually asked, is it for washing babies in? And the maid responded with, no, madam, it's for washing babies out, which further uh, brought about the idea that it was for abortions, which it was for cleaning. It was for cleaning after using the restroom and before and after intercourse. It could not abort anything. It's like it doesn't have that type of water pressure and that type of water pressure would kill you. Mm -hmm. 
So during World War II as well, women's periods. <gasps> I know. We didn't talk about them. One of the touted benefits of the bidet is that they just make periods easier. And those of you who menstruate know what I'm talking about because it gets like it it's it's like a war scene. It's like fucking Scarface or some shit down there. So it makes you should see Austin's face right now. Like it's horrifying and it really does keep things cleaner. So between their presence in brothels, the assumption that they prevented or ended pregnancies, and the fact that they could help women through that shameful week. Americans were seriously not cool with it because of the fucking patriarchy. In 1964, a man named Arnold Cohen tried to popularize the bidet in the United States with his company aptly named the American Bidet Company. He invented it, this version, for his sick father. So this is strictly like, hey, look, the cow can help men. And he was like, it can help you prevent these rashes and these hemorrhoids and these other issues. And he found that advertising it was nearly impossible because, as he put it, nobody wants to hear about Tushy Washing 101. <laughs> no one wants to talk about the fact that their butts could possibly be dirty, basically. But Japan was like, hey, this seems like a good idea. So they called him, like the whole country of Japan, all at once. It was very chaotic. He met with people from the trading company, company Nichimen Jitsugyo which modeled uh, a new design off of his. And in 1980, the Japanese company Toto created a bidet toilet hybrid. Today, their models, Toto's cup models, also have seat warming and deodorizing features. And I've even heard of ones that play music so other people can't hear what you're doing in the toilet. That's amazing. Yeah, they have it figured out. I've also heard that, um, and this is not part from my research, but like basically after every time somebody uses the public stall, you close the door, it automatically sanitizes the whole space, which I have seen places that do that. But Japan, this is a thing there. Like homes have them, hotels have them, restaurants have them. If you're going to go to a bathroom, it's probably going to have a bidet because cleanliness matters. But despite how common they are in Japan today and how successful they are at keeping asses clean and hygienic, they haven't caught on in the States. People are becoming more comfortable with the idea of the aforementioned wet wipes. As I mentioned, they can um, clog things for you. And it's not just your own house they can clog up. Entire sewer systems are being clogged because of these things. I've seen these pictures of like oh, these yeah. giant masses of people are flushing paper towels, newspaper, like actual towels because they've run out of toilet paper and they've just been flushing whatever they used. Yeah. Um, and if it's you ruining use, the like, entire sewer. You use other stuff, throw it away, wash it in your washing, whatever you need to do, don't flush it. This is because they combine with fat from food waste and create blockages that are called fatbergs. What? And this is because they are similar to icebergs. In 2015, a 10-ton fatberg cost London $600,000 to repair. And in 2017, they found one that was 140 tons. I didn't bother to keep researching to find out what they did with that. But if you look up pictures, you can find ones from right now. Like, I think it was LA is having yeah. like an epidemic of... Probably not the right word to use right now. Yeah. But they're having an influx, an influx of fatbergs because people are flushing stuff they shouldn't. Interestingly, the inventor of Fink's panties, which are underwear to use during your period, eliminating or mostly eliminating the need for pads or tampons, thinks that women are the key to bringing it to the U.S., despite the fact that women have been the excuse the patriarchy is giving for not bringing them over. See, she got in trouble with her early ads. People called them lewd. So remember, these are these are underwear ads. You can see how those could get mm -hmm. lewd, right? Yep. And it started with the New York City Public Transit Authority not wanting to put her um, her posters up on their subways. 
Now, you've been in cities that have subways. Mm-hmm. You've seen the kind of posters that are up. Oh, yeah. Like, they are naked. Those are yep. naked people in unnatural positions that are like, look at my vagina and boobs, right? Yeah. Her ads were women wearing long sleeves and turtlenecks and a pair of underwear standing like normal people. Like people who were in the middle of getting dressed kind of situations. But they had the word period. And so even New York City was like horrified by how lewd and inappropriate these ads were. And I don't know if they ever got forcibly taken down or anything, but I kind of gather they didn't. Things got really like well received by millennial women, especially. Uh, and the history of period products is fascinating to begin with. And people are really slow to pick up on these new things. But these actually do work. And they are less expensive in the long run because you don't have to buy stuff every month. They're easy to clean. They're environmentally friendly. They're safer than your for your body because uh, tampons can cause toxic shock syndrome. So she began to partner with the Tushy Bidet uh, a few years ago, which you add onto your existing toilet. Their website is amazing. The Tushy Bidet website, go to it. It's the best. At no point do they try to cover up what this product is. And in fact, the first image that popped up was people who were clearly using the toilet being washed away on like a tidal wave of water. (laughs) It was the best. And their advertising is very much like, this is to clean your eyes after you poop. Very clear. So she focused on her her marketing on the millennial women who embraced thanks. And she thinks... And this is actually a similar marketing scheme to how they brought Charmin in the first place. Ooh. By saying, look at how this is appropriate and clean and feminine and something that is good for you, especially as a woman. So she actually, by using these like revolutionary products, is going back to the oldest successful form of marketing for toilet paper. And maybe things will change after coronavirus. The first thing that happened after I saw, like, I saw that picture and it made me laugh, a thing popped up on the Tushy Bidet website that said, we're finally back in stock, which means that they had sold out of their bidets during the coronavirus thing. Because people, you know, the toilet paper is gone. They're like, I guess I've got to use a bidet. If you type in the word bidet, there are so many, like, interesting search things that come up now because people are looking into them for the first time. And that's one of the big questions that people have been asking is what's going to be different after coronavirus? Like a lot of people think movie theaters are going to close down because we now have evidence that you can successfully stream these movies and make money off of them, blah, blah, blah. I think that people are going to start leaning into bidets a little bit more. I don't think we're going to get rid of toilet paper in the next five years or anything. No. But I think bidets are going to become more popularized. I think people are going to accept them more because it started out of necessity and because it's been successful in other countries. And, you know, at the end of the day, women really control the marketing and what ends up in your house. Yeah. Yeah. The patriarchy is And I'm not saying it's because women do the shopping. It's because who's always right? You are. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe the days will finally crush the patriarchy too. Maybe. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining the, the patriarchy literally crushed beneath a giant bidet in a New Yorker cartoon strip. Like I'm just hoping, I guess, that maybe for the first time we can stop associating cleanliness with how disgusting the female body is and start worrying about our health instead. And that is the history of our bidets and how why America hates women and them. I mean, that's only part of the history of why America hates women. There is a lot more than that. True, true. You ready for some questions? I'm ready for some questions. That's an interesting one, right? It was. (laughs) Will the fact that the ancient Greeks and Romans used shared sponges to clean up after the bathroom be on the test? I'm going to say yes, because this was literally a test question I remember from Latin class. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. 
Will the fact that the Sears Robag ca- Robot catalog was a pretty shitty publication be on the test? <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> Will the fact that bidets didn't really make it to America because of World War II soldiers visiting French brothels be on the test? They're the greatest generation and none of them have ever been to a brothel ever. And yeah. they certainly didn't have syphilis in record-breaking numbers. Yeah, in none of the wars did our soldiers visit brothels or oh, worse. Oh, no. Oh, so. <laughs> What's something you learned? The whole, like, why Americans didn't embrace the bidet. It's like, I never really thought about it. I honestly thought, it's like, a bidet sounds expensive, and I wonder if they don't work well. Actually, that's a really good point that I didn't bring up, is that bidets are expensive. Less yeah. expensive than <laughs> buying a case of toilet paper every every year for the rest of your life? Well, no, but in the short term... Like, there are bidets that are thousands of dollars. The average bidet here, I think I read, like, and I'm talking about bidet separate from, or, like, fancy bidets, $300 to $600. Things like the Tushy Bidet, and I'm not saying this is the price of them specifically, but things that are attachments to your regular toilet, 50 bucks or less. I've been seriously considering getting one. Man, that was an interesting conversation about the history of wiping our butts. (laughs) I never thought about any of that stuff before. Yeah. No, I've actually been kind of like looking up bidets just out of curiosity lately. I was like, why haven't Americans used these? And uh, the first thing I looked up was how do you dry after using a bidet? Because you also don't want to walk around with a wet butt. And that is where toilet paper is still used. Now they were like, you know, basically that is kind of like how men like to shake off. You usually, if you get it clean enough, you don't really need to wipe it. But even if you do decide to wipe you use very little because it's just water at this point. And there are even special towels that you use for it. And the Tushy Bidet sells towels made for this that are a shared towel that is next to the toilet, kind of like um, the let's Greeks just, and the Romans. Let's just have a pot of salt water with a sponge and skip them. No, and somebody asked, like, how is that possibly sanitary? And they were like, what is there to worry about with sanitation? If you are if you are actually clean, why are you worried? Which I think is a valid thing. Now, if you've got a herpes outbreak or something, then obviously... Yeah. But I think I would stick to the toilet paper for that myself. Mm-hmm. But also, like, also think about how many toilet clogs come not from the size of the feces, but from the toilet paper that actually is clogging it. Yeah. So it's like, even if, like, have this massive dump and you, you flush it, even if you forgot to flush first and you used a bidet, you're using, like, a fraction of the toilet paper. So it's not yeah. going to clog as much. And it actually saves you more money in the end because <laughs> you don't have to... Because you don't have to flush and flush and flush and flush. In the end. Oh, shut up. Did I ever completely finish saying what you learned? Yeah. You okay. Did. What about you? What did you learn? You didn't pay attention at all, did you? No, sometimes it just takes me a minute to remember what you said because I just went through my whole research. <laughs> it's kind of like asking somebody to give a presentation and then describe what the previous presentation was about. So what I learned is I learned that bad exists. Existed. Exist- well, let's be honest here. Yeah. It's probably still around in some form. And that somebody was actually ended up being too controversial in her own beliefs to be allowed to stay in bad. What was it? Patricia Pulling? Yeah, uh, Patricia Pulling. And I learned that Dallas Egbert deserved a lot better. I don't, have we ever had two more different subjects? I mean, both of ours talked about shitty people. Yes. And I guess, and I guess um, the printed word too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's it. That's the only similarities. <laughs> and I guess everybody in mine pooped, so. <laughs> everybody, no, nobody pooped until everybody poops came out. Yep. And this was after everybody poops, so everybody pooped. Mm-hmm. So I guess yours is the most relatable story we've ever had because everybody poops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except for the Voyager space probe. Voyagers never pooped. 
actual voyagers pooped. Yes. It's like, you know, Marco Polo running around shitting in every different country that he could get to. That's why he did it. He just wanted to poop everywhere. Really gross guy. I actually feel like there are like men who are like, I'm going to climb this mountain and I'm going to pee on it to show my ownership over it. Yeah. I also feel that's a big part of why men like peeing outside so much. It's normally, it's kind of a novelty. It's like. I'm not saying it's a conscious thing. It's like, I'm normally not allowed to do this. So where can people find us? Oh, they can find us on the internet. (laughs) We're not going to tell you where. We're going to send you on a scavenger hunt. Okay, the first clue is at the top of the Empire State Building. You're not allowed to go there right now. You're not allowed to go there. Take the virtual tour. We spray painted it last week. Nobody's cleaned it up yet. The first clue is Tom Hanks. Tom at Hanks? The end, at the top of, was that the Empire State Building? No, that was the, uh, it was in Seattle. Oh, right, right, right. Because they were sleepless. They were sleepless in Seattle. Right. What building was that? It was it Space Needle. It wasn't Space Needle. It was the Space Needle. Everything's the Space Needle. It's always the Space Needle. No, Tom Hanks <laughs> does have the second clue because you can't get to the first one. So You this- also can't visit Tom Hanks. You might be able to visit Tom Hanks. He might be immune now. Tom Hanks might be able to get us groceries. Hey, Tom Hanks, can you buy us some groceries? Tom, it's like, we're mostly good. I mean, like, we could use some toilet paper, but everyone. Some milk. Oh, yeah. If anybody can get us toilet paper, it's Tom Hanks. Yep. (laughs) All right, so we are on Facebook. Uh, We we are called Will This Be On The Test? Or you can do facebook.com slash on the test pod. Yep. We are uh, on Twitter, at on the test pod. Instagram, on the test pod. And we got a website too, and it is on the testpod.com. We have an email address, but don't bother. Just yeah. go like it's so full of spam from everything else that you you'll, you'll just have a better time reaching us through our socials. Yeah. And I don't know, is there anything else we need to cover? Uh yeah, it's like if you have any corrections you'd like us to do, uh suggestions for topics you want us to cover or just like, you know, positive reviews or things to talk about, just go ahead and Oh, yes, please. Five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, write a nice little review of us. Download us instead of just streaming us. That'd be awesome. Tell your friends how great we are. We don't always talk about poop. This is I think only the third episode where we've really talked about poop. Maybe the fourth if you count Plenty of the Elder. Oh, that's true. Well, that was more that was more, that was more pee. <laughs> uh, we talked about cholera and then there was the the poop log on the Christmas episode. Uh, Tio de Nadal, the pooping log. Yes. All right, well, my hot chocolate with Kahlua is almost gone. My hot chocolate's completely gone and it dissolved that entire spoon. So I think it's time for us to wrap it up. Yep, let's wrap it up. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.